Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright Night. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Wolfman's got Mars. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. They're all gonna laugh at you. I'm listening to the Jersey Cools. Hey, everybody. Unfortunately, Marissa could not be uh, a part of the recording tonight. Uh, Let's send her all the good healing vibes. She unfortunately got sick, but I am not alone tonight. And we had planned this before Marissa couldn't make it. So this not like a last minute replacement. This was a very well planned strategic move to bring back our friend, Adam Casey. Adam, welcome back to the show. Hey, y'all. You all are probably familiar with Adam if you are a part of our Facebook group. He is very active member, constantly posting. He was on our show. Actually, I had to look back. I think it's been like almost two and a half, three years since you've been on the show. I think it was right at the end of 2019. I I couldn't remember. You know, I was like 2019, 2018. Yeah, maybe it was the end of 2019. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you joined us for an episode. We did a comic book centric episode where we talked about 30 Days of Night and The Crow. And being one of my personal friends and resident go-to person for comic book information, uh, you always have your finger on the pulse. We wanted to bring you back because we have been itching to do some 70s horror. And one of my personal favorite little pools to jump into is the horror anthologies, Tales from the Crypt from 1972 and Tales from the Vault 1973. You mean Vault of Horror. Oh, yes. I mean, Vaults of Horror. Why did I write down Tales from the Vault? Because I wrote Tales from the Crypt. That's why. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's fine because the comics had all kinds of titles. There's like Crypt of, Crypt of Fear, you know, a Vault of Horror, um, Haunt of Fear. You know, they changed titles plenty of times. So you're not you're not wrong in getting that yeah. <laughs> jumbled. <laughs> so why don't we start with, if anybody, I mean, I think generally our audience is very familiar with the late 80s early 90s hbo tales from the crypt we all know tales from the crypt we know the crypt keeper he is iconic that show in itself is iconic and i think that everybody knows that that came from a comic book but i think these two movies that we're talking about tonight and the ec kind of uh horror genre in general, people may not be as familiar with. So we're gonna touch on that a little bit first. Um, I have a little bit of a soapbox to stand on and then we can dive into the movies. Okay. 
Yeah. So, you know what, I'm going to, like I said, as my, I'm, I'm looking to you as our expert witness tonight. So if you want to start us off. Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, EC Comics, I mean, what, what we most, most people know as EC Comics stands for uh, uh, entertaining comics, but originally it started as educational comics. And uh, it was started by the guy who created the comic book format. Uh, Max Gaines in 1934 put together a bunch of newspaper strips in a book format put a 10 cent price sticker on it, put it at a couple of newsstands and it went crazy. Um, and, and that's not really surprising considering so many people bought like pulp magazines at the time, you know, with Westerns and uh, detective stories and, and science fiction, that kind of stuff like that. So it made a perfect kind of blend uh, into that, to that, uh, um, that publishing world. And then uh, later he would start um, All American Comics, which created The Flash and Green Lantern and Wonder Woman. Um, and then merged uh, All-American with DC Comics and left all that and started Educational Comics, um, which continued his uh, stuff that he'd been doing previously uh, with like picture stories, like picture stories of the Bible, picture stories of history and stuff like that. And the idea of being educational comics. But, um, partially as a sort of pushback, uh, uh, there was uh, even in the 40s, there was, uh, you know, these are, this is trash, you know, this is lowbrow. Uh, this is, you know, pickling kids' brains, you know, basically anything that has ever been said about any entertainment thing for kids, <laughs> you know, video games, TV, uh, whatever, the internet, TikTok, whatever. Um, but uh, so tragically in 1947, Max dies in a boating accident. And then uh, his son, Bill Gaines, takes over and Bill really becomes the face of, of the company. Um, at the time, they're doing things that sort of follow the trends of comic publishing at the time so superhero stuff they have a comic called moon girl um they're doing westerns with like great titles like saddle justice you know? <laughs> um but then they get into uh, true crime kind of stuff and they do a comic called crime patrol and it's in crime patrol where tales uh from the crypt starts uh in crime patrol number 15 uh in 1949 uh is the first crypt keeper story um and that's written and drawn by al feldstein um who did a bunch of stuff uh with, with EC and what's, and it's important to note, like the names of the artists are important to EC comics. They do features on the artists. The artists are able to sign their names to the work, which wasn't common, you know, in the in the forties and fifties, uh, mainly because publishers wanted that kind of like interchangeability um, uh, and just sort of the, the kind of assembly line format. Like it didn't really matter who drew this, you know, funny animal comic, it just had to be out, you know, um, but but especially Bill Gaines and EC Comics, they really focus on really high quality art, high quality story writing. They adapt Ray Bradbury stories. Um, it's, 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 it's kind of uh, what would later, you know, it's an idea that would become later uh, really valued in comics that you really pay attention to, to making a, a quality product for people. And it's not just disposable. Um, it's, it's something that's it's something to be proud of that, that you make. Um, so after uh, the Crypt Keeper, Keeper uh, feature in Crime Patrol takes off, they switch over to what they call the New Trend line, which is Crypt of Terror, Haunt of Fear, another one called Tales from the Crypt, uh, Two-Fisted Justice, <laughs> Frontline Combat, Weird Fantasy, Weird Science, where that movie title uh, comes from, and uh, Shock Suspense Stories. Um, they're really popular. They do really well. And then all these copycats show up. And there's this urban legend that the printing industry ran out of red ink because of all the blood <laughs> that they were <laughs> drawing um, at the time. Um, but I believe that's mostly an urban legend. 
But, you know, with all these copycats, there's a pushback. You know, uh, Canada passes a law uh, prohibiting crime comics. You know, various states and, and uh, cities and stuff pass their own laws. There's comic book burnings. Um, and then, of course, in 1954, Seduction of the Innocent comes out by Frederick Wortham, which he's a psychiatrist um, and he attempts to blame juvenile delinquency and crimes and stuff on comic books. And, you know, of course, we've seen this all throughout, you know, modern history where it's like blaming video games, blaming movies, uh, the internet, whatever. When really it's not that comic books were causing kids to do bad things, it's just that everybody was reading comic books, you know? <laughs> um, it's just they, and so he was looking for kind of a scapegoat there. Um, so there's a tel there's televised congressional hearings. It's kind of similar to the McCarthy stuff that's going on in the 50s. Bill Gaines testifies and, um, you know, does a really, really great job. You can find, you know, various transcripts and stuff like that where he really stands up for the medium. Um, and he, uh, you know, later tries to cut off censorship and legislation by creating a group uh, for publishers um, that they could uphold standards. Um, but he's double crossed and they, <laughs> the rest of them set up the Comics Code Authority which you know uh, regulates like blood, pictures of blood and violence and monsters, but also prohibits the words terror and horror on covers, effectively just cutting off EC Comics from uh, distribution. Um, EC prior to that had started Mad Magazine and they focus all their efforts on that. Uh, a lot of the artists and stuff that worked on the old EC titles take off, you know, jump over to Mad and, and focus on that and then the rest is history. Um, and later Bill Gaines would die in 1992 um, as a revival of the comics really starts going partially because of the HBO show. Um, mm -hmm. And here we are, you know, and they're, they're great little stories. They're kind of, you know, I think inspired Twilight Zone a little bit with the kind of twist endings and um, sort of morality, you know, and sort of there's a, there's a message to every story. Um, and they just really, they still stand the test of time, you know, you go back and read them and there's really sharp art and the stories really hold up good quality comics. So I was, so, so I'll, I'll pull my soapbox out because I knew, I, I, I did not know full history of EC. Like my knowledge of EC are the comic books that I own, some of the vintage ones that I own, some of the compilations that I own and volumes of like EC archives that I own. I was not too keen to the the actual history of it. In preparation for this episode, reading through some stuff, it really did surprise me that like the original run for Vault of Horror and Tales from the Crypt was essentially four or five years. And then you know, the comic book authority happened. And it was funny because I was looking at what the actual, like the 1954 codes were. And as you mentioned, you know, no comic shall use the words horror or terror in their title, but even things, things that were, <laughs> things that basically says that good has to conquer evil. You know, like criminals cannot be presented to be rendered glamorous or to occupy a position which would create desire for emulation. In every instance, good shall triumph over evil and the criminal punished for his misdeeds. <laughs> it, like the moment that I read the article all about that, the whole nine, like it really did just kind of hit me in the face with the way that history tends to repeat itself. Like you mentioned with, you know, McCarthyism. To me, honestly, one of the first things that came to my mind was 
D. Schneider versus Tippy Gore in 1984 with the whole slapping parental advisory stickers on the CDs. And then honestly, following that trend of censorship was something as recent and anybody that's really got their finger on the pulse within the horror community is in 2019 when Instagram started giving you the message anytime you would use something along the lines of like hashtag horror they would give you a warning and say like are you sure you want to do this do you need help are you feeling unsafe and suddenly there was all this backlash from the community that was like why on earth you know it, it goes it keeps repeating the same thing it's like oh well if you watch horror you probably are more likely to commit these crimes. You know, if you listen to death metal, you know, we, we just had the episode, uh, Marissa and I just had our episode on, on satanic panic. You know, we talked about the West Memphis three, you know, okay, well, you, you listen to Henry Rollins, you listen to Megadeth, you listen to death metal. And so obviously you are a Satan worshiper. Like the correlation just, it really blows my mind that, I mean, it blows my mind and it doesn't blow my mind because look at the world that we live in that, you know, everything is, is everybody has to be judged. The book has to be judged by the cover, no matter what, like, let's not take any time to get to know someone or get to know a situation. Um, but yeah, it really did kind of blow my mind that they only lasted a few years and then this, I, I can't help it. Like, I'm going to say it like I, this, this overly Christian need to make everything nice and good and pure and love saves the day kind of situation. Well, I, wasn't, I wasn't prepared to read that and get angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think, you know, it, it, tying into the satanic panic thing, it sort of runs, I mean, nostalgia runs in like 30-year cycles. And unfortunately, um, you know, you've got the Red Scare <laughs> in the 50s and then in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s, you got, you know, the satanic panic stuff. And now we've got, you know, hashtag save our children, all the QAnon, you know, pickled brain kind of stuff mm -hmm. out there. Um, and, uh, and a lot of it just kind of runs through uh, just sort of moralistic fascism, you know, and, and uh, codified patriotism, you know, in, in the comics code you mentioned, it's like government officials have to be good, you know, have to be depicted as, as being good is one of the things in the original comics code is like, you can't have a corrupt judge or mm -hmm. you know a, a corrupt mayor or senator or something like that and um so there's that idea that yes we know what's right for you and um just sit there and 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 follow follow the orders and conform so yeah it's it's sad that it is you know cyclical like that you know yeah. Um, but yeah so um who knows what uh 2050s got for us for whatever i don't know i guess holograms or whatever we've got yeah. by there <laughs> well uh you know, even with the limited print run, luckily reprints happened. And like I mentioned, I own a, a couple volumes of EC archives and, and things like that. These, these comics are not hard to get your hands on. Um, right. I mean, to be, to be perfectly honest, if you have any interest, even in any sort of kind of these, these horror kind of comics, I mean, go down to your local store, flip through the dollar box. You're going to find some variation. As you mentioned, all of the copycats that came out, you yeah. are going to find some sort of variation on Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, all, all of these things. Um, right. The big reprint started in the 90s, and that's where I first read them. 
when mm-hmm. I was like nine or 10. And, um, and as a kid, right, getting into comics and stuff, I always loved what came before. Like I, I was really yeah. interested in what was going on now. I was like, ooh, what's this storyline? What's this Dark Knight Returns? What's this uh, Dark Phoenix saga? All this kind of stuff like that. And then these EC, like, oh, this thing is from the 50s. I mean, granted, it's a modern, you know, reprint and stuff like that. But that is what, you know, I, again, I really love, you know, the past stuff. But I think reading that, um, that, how I got into horror was really, I think, these comics. And so the horror for me has never really been slasher stuff and, and that kind of thing like that. It's always been this kind of like, the, that uneasiness as depicted in these EC comics of like, you know, uh, the horror that we do to each other and, you know, comeuppance that people get for their misdeeds. And uh, between that, those comics and Twilight Zone, like that's sort of how you know, I, I really got into the world of horror is, is through those, those things of that, like, and that's, and it's a different, I mean, I think slasher stuff is more like, there is a little bit of comeuppance in there, you know, depending upon, you know, the, the people don't follow, you know, advice and this kind of stuff like that. But a lot of that is just sort of the horror that happens to you, you know, it's like, you just, you, you're at the lake, dumb luck, here's a killer, you know, and I think that's a part of the easy stuff too, is like, it's, there's this, you know, you're an average person, and then you're trapped in, in this, you know, dangerous situation and then what do you do and like that as a kid I mean that's really terrifying I mean I don't know if that's what causes like anxiety disorders or what but it's like <laughs> it's a different kind of way of looking at the world when you're like well maybe I could get trapped by some sort of vampire and <laughs> well the to me one of the biggest ironies is that you know looking at that code of of ethics for comics in 1954 you know the overarching theme with that is not the overarching theme, that's not fair to say, but a very popular theme in those ethics are, you know, good conquers evil. Reading any of these comics, watching these Tales from the Crypt movies, watching Tales from the Crypt series, morality plays a huge part. And nine times out of 10, the bad things happen to bad people in in these comics. I mean, granted, yes, bad things happen to good people in these comics, but the bad guy getting their comeuppance is nine times out of 10, what's going to happen in all of these stories. So it, it kind of makes me laugh that, yes, you've got the horror and the terror, and maybe we are going to show somebody within the community as a villain, even though their, you know, career, their job is not a villainous role. But, you know, I don't want to say good conquers evil. That's not a, a fair statement to say. But yeah, like, the bad guy doesn't generally get away with it at the end, you know, be it they are caught or they die or they're burning in hell. Like they're to a degree, like if, if anybody took the time to sit down and in 1954 and look at all of this, you would see that they're somewhat in line to the, like we're both kind of going toward the same point. EC just took a, you know, a hard left and then a right and then an up the valley and down the valley and around where... You know, well, I think also too is like a lot of people didn't really. Um, I, it's still to still to this day, I don't think people can can get a lot of like subtlety and 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 yeah. subtext because it's like a lot of the stuff was objecting to you know the blood or the you know that there's a, a ghoul or whatever, um, and not realizing like well hey wait a minute this story is teaching you not to you know double cross people or not yeah. to <laughs> not to like steal an inheritance and that kind of stuff like that and even I mean a. a as a, as a little bit of an aside, their war books, like, uh, you know, like two, two-fisted 
uh, Justice and uh, uh, Frontline Combat are pacifist books. You know, they're, they're anti-war books. They're, they, they tell stories like, this is in the middle of the, of the Korean War, they're stories that are from the North Koreans' perspective, you know? Um, and they really talk to actual, you know, vets and stuff and are like, you know, about the horrors of war. And it depicts that. It's not just all like victory and hurrah. It's like, no, I'm a, I'm a broken individual after this. Um, and like uh, shock suspense stories, um, has a one where this, you know, it's just kind of a, this guy is, um, how dare these black people move into the neighborhood and lower the property values. And uh, then his neighbor's like, don't you know, I'm a quarter black, you know, or whatever. And it's like, this is, I mean, these, these are things that I think that I, and I wish Marissa were here. Cause I'd love to talk to a parent about this, about like, yeah. would, wouldn't you rather your kids be, you know, reading material where it's like teaches you a good lesson as opposed to let's punch a bad guy, you know, or let's, you know, whatever the, you know, it's between the superhero stuff, which also fades out a little bit in the 50s there too. Um, and, and as well as like the Western stuff where it's like, let's just, you know, get these cattle rustlers and stuff. It's like, there's, I, I, and what's interesting is I think there is a lot of potential in comics. And I think people are realizing that now and, and over the past, you know, 20, 30 years, you know, especially with graphic novels and stuff like that. But EC was doing that at the beginning, showing you like, hey, if you put the time and effort into the writing and the story and the art and uh, the production value, like this is this is on par with the other works of literature or art um, and can do good. Um, and but it's just that they needed a scapegoat. And so the, the garish <laughs> uh, art was it that was what they sacrificed so I want to take a quick little break in between our history lesson and talking about the movies I want to talk about you Adam because you have like I said a very and I, I thank you all the time for it such a presence on our Facebook group and on your own social media um and especially the month of May which I know <laughs> you both look forward to and dread at the same time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah, it's mermaid. You draw mermaids for mermaid. Um, this is I think my third year doing it, and it's difficult because you wanted I, I can only draw so many poses and stuff, and and trying to come up with interesting ones. Um, so, um, but yeah, so yeah, I, I guess I, I I guess I failed to introduce myself. Yes, I'm Adam Casey. Um, <laughs> no, I uh, failed to introduce you. That that's my fault. I got excited all, about the history. Friends here. It's I jumped all friendly. in. Yes. We're all friends. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, uh, cartoonist, graphic designer. Um, I managed a comic book store for 10 years. You can find me on Instagram and, and uh, Twitter at Adam C. Casey. There's an extra C in the middle there. A-D-A-M-C-C-A-S-E-Y. Um, see my art and various things. Inktober's a big thing for me too, drawing all the uh, spooky stuff there in October. But also just, you know, different kinds of, I, I enjoy like doing, you know, body positivity and art and representation of, um and then just you know weird random stuff too and monsters and whatever 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 i'm interested in at the time and and go for it so all of his social media will be linked in the show notes and again I, like i said in in october or actually it's more like in november when inktober is over uh any horror related uh images that he has done in the month of inktober that he has done in the month of October for Inktober, he does post to our page. Um, so you can always go back through old posts and you can check those out as well. So again, uh, gang, we're sorry that Marissa could not be here, but from Marissa and myself, Adam, we both are so, so stoked to have you on again. And yeah, obviously with Marissa not here, 
we're going to have to have you back on again because she definitely wants to jump in conversation as well. So yeah, I, miss, I miss talking to her. Yeah. She's good, she's good people. So let's dive right in to 1972. Tales from the Crypt, one of the Amicus anthologies. They had a handful of them. This one, Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror, were the two EC-influenced anthologies. Have you seen any of the other Amicus anthologies? Did they do The House That Drip Blood? Yep. There's no blood. The House That Drip Blood in that one. It's a lie. It's false, false. advertising. Um <laughs> Yeah, I've seen a handful of different ones. I mean, I, I, I don't know who exactly made them, but it's, um, so uh, I guess something else about me is I will watch any movie under 90 minutes. Uh, yeah. And uh, like right now I'm at like 360 movies for the year. Um, whereas most people would watch, you know, five or six episodes of The Office every day. Like you watch two movies under 90 minutes, you've done the same thing. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've seen a bunch of the anthology stuff out there um, with all varying degrees of success and, uh concept too um like sometimes it's just like here's four stories and then other times there's like framing sequences and uh both both like convoluted and otherwise um did amicus do monster club you know what i know monster club often shows up but i don't think that they did monster okay. club i think that one. yeah but i think it's generally clumped in because like amicus often had Peter Cushing in movies. It had Christopher Lee. And I know that Monster Club has Vincent Price. So I, I don't believe it is part of that family, but I think it's like amicus adjacent because of the format and because of who is in it. I might yeah. be wrong, but I think I'm right. It looks like Chips, I just Googled it. Chips Productions did it, um, did Monster Club. Uh, but the director of Monster Club also directed Vault of Horror. Um, oh, there you go. Well, so maybe that's where the connection yeah. and part of, and part of it's also the sort of like british nature of production where there's seems like there's only seven people to make a movie you know? <laughs> like, so they show up and everything and they direct everything and yeah. that kind of it's like edgar wright movies it's all everybody just yeah. keeps showing up all right so so let's let's jump in we'll go chronologically 1972 sure. tales from the crypt backstory on me i know i've seen this movie before can't tell you when can't tell you how long ago but i know i've seen it because, and I've talked about this on the show before, I remember the blood from the very first vignette. Yes. That bright fuchsia pink blood. I really, honestly, I, I, many, many episodes ago, I remember talking about blood and I was like, there's this movie and it had like magenta, bright magenta blood. And I said, all I remember is the woman was scooping blood into a wine glass or a, or a champagne glass. That's all I could remember. And then as like the moment that this movie came on, I was like, oh yeah, this is the one with the hot pink blood. So I remember, so I know I've seen this one. I had never seen Vault of Horror, but I know I had seen this one because of, because of the blood. That's what made me remember it. As the stories went on, they kind of slowly all came back to me. I think that they started this movie so well with that when that vignette, which obviously hugely popular and was actually translated into the 1989. Oh, I'm blanking on it. And an off of the house. An off of the house, yes. Which is such an awesome episode from the TV series. It's got the mom from Monster Squad. It's like, it's so creepy. It's so scary because Santa's not supposed to be bad. But anyway, I'm sorry. I digress. I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> well, let's start with the opening opening. So like, first of all, I love that they use box fuse, right? That's my like, 
I so, casually listen to that song. Like, I love the whole thing. Like, I don't know, like, in 72, like, what they were thinking necessarily with that. But for me, like, it, it lets you know, like, okay, hey, this is not just a horror movie. You know, this isn't like some, we're, we're, we're being sort of meta here. Like, mm-hmm. we're playing with, with the genre a little bit. Um, you know, because that's, that's in, you know, every, you know, uh, Bugs Bunny cartoon when he goes to a spooky castle or yes. whatever, it's, you know, and so it's like to put that in a, an actual production, it's like that's a choice and the choice is, hey, this is spooky, but we're going to be aware that it's spooky and we're going to play with it. Um, but then the cast list, like they're running the names and I'm just like, ooh, uh-huh. you know, Joan Collins and like Peter Cushing, Patrick McGee, Ralph Richardson. You're like, all right. <laughs> yes, very, very impressive cast list. And then I just love, I love the setup of them. Like, I want to take that tour. Like, so it starts, for those who don't know, it starts with a tour. Mm-hmm. Like everybody going to like a kind of weird mausoleum kind of uh, catacombs kind of thing. And there's like a whole tour guide that's talking about like, you know, these were, you know, religious martyrs and, you know, persecuted by Henry VIII and that kind of stuff like that. Um, but then like these guys get lost and then there's the Crypt Keeper. Yes. Who is not the spooky one from the show, but does look a lot like how he looked in the comics with this like kind of a robe. Yeah, just kind of the hooded robe. Yeah, the 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 Crypt Keeper. Yeah, that is that is one thing that in the comics, the Crypt Keeper, I think it was the witch that was one of the more scary because there was the Crypt Keeper, there was the witch, and then there was... The Vault Keeper. The Vault Keeper, yeah. yeah. And I With, think the uh, Vault Keeper looks more like the live Yeah, action. I was saying, you know, now that, I, now that I'm remembering the Vault Keeper, yeah, he, he is... Right, that long chin and yeah. his emaciated face. He looks a little more like what later is the Crypt Keeper in the right. series. Um, One of my thoughts, I was just kind of giggling to myself because I'm like, you know, yeah, again, these people are randomly on this mausoleum tour and they all kind of mention at some point throughout the movie like i don't even know why i came here like i was driving past and i just took this tour and it's like who just takes a tour of like a mausoleum and then i'm like oh yeah me i yeah i do too because like one of the very specific reasons that i went to uh tarrytown sleepy hollow new york was to take not one but two tours of the sleepy hollow cemetery one in the day and candle it by night so yes i you know we're those people that are like oh look let's go to our graveyard they get separated you know and of course the crypt keeper is not he's very cryptic for lack of a better term yeah like he's basically like everybody just kind of sit down shut up one by one you are gonna see some shit and i like the way that now okay so it's one of those things where I'm assuming that like time passes, but it doesn't pass because everybody kind of gets X amount of minutes for their vignette, but it seems like they're the only ones that gets to see it. Like they're the only ones yeah. that get to perceive the vision that the Crypt Keeper is allowing them to see. And obviously, you know, spoiler alert, it's, you know, everybody is doing something bad. Everybody is doing something bad. And within their vision, they are seeing the consequence of their bad. Well, I we'll, we'll come to back to that, but not everybody's doing something bad. We'll, we, we'll come to that. We'll, are we going to go through each story? Yes, yes. Okay, we'll come back to that, but not everyone does something well, bad. Well, that's true. You know what? That's true. I do have that note in in, yeah. in Vault of, of, of Horror about how the bad the bad person didn't get the bad. But yes, so yeah. we, we, can go, we can go story by story. We can briefly touch on each story. As I already mentioned, so the first one, is and all through the house it's joan collins uh and her you know she kills the husband 
hot pink blood goes everywhere. Special, <laughs> as Molly would say. <laughs> yeah, and there's a psychotic Santa Claus on the loose, and it so comes. This is the Christmas movie. This is a Christmas movie. Yes, and it comes to their house, but because she's just killed her husband, she can't call the cops to like come save her because she's just murdered her husband. Now her little girl is waiting for Santa. And she's the little girl ends up opening the door for Santa Claus, bringing psychotic serial killer Santa into the house. But it just and, ends on that. Like, we don't really know what happens after that. Which Yeah, we I, see her being like. strangled, but we don't see her dead. We just see her yeah. being strangled. Um, and, you know, and I actually I went through and read all the stories that these are based off of. And a lot of them are pretty similar. This one is, is pretty much straightforward. Um, in the comics, though, you get to have, which is unique to the, the medium, characters' inner thoughts. And you get to read... Yeah their inner thoughts and so she's much more panicked uh in the comic about like you know this guy the you know, santa's trying to get in i can't call the cops got rid of this body my kid's gonna see the body uh where's my kid blah 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 um but uh i love the creepy santa um really like that and i also like how how silent the uh this vignette really was you know what i mean there's not a lot of dialogue there's not a lot of it's it's on it's mostly christmas music honestly yeah. there's a radio playing and almost kind of too loud at some points but it's it's nothing but it's like the christmas block and they're just playing all sorts of christmas music and i love the i don't know what they're with the the juxtaposition of her panic and terror of this horrific like home invasion situation and like oh come all ye faithful is yeah. is on the radio playing it's it's just it's it's done so well agreed so the next one's reflection of death you know, Reflection of Death, that's the one where um, this guy is leaving his uh, wife mm -hmm. um, and going off with his mistress or whatever, dreams about being in a car crash and then is a zombie, but he doesn't know it because we switched to first person POV, which I love because that naturally builds up, okay, there's going to be a reveal. Mm -hmm. um, and then he goes back to his, his, his uh, wife and she's terrified and goes back to his mistress to find out she's now blind. So she can't really see. And then he looks in a mirror and sees his ghastly face only to wake up. It was all a dream. But then the accident really does happen. It goes back to like that comeuppance stuff we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Like, hey, don't leave your wife. <laughs> yeah, it's really sad because it's like he, he, you know, he's telling his wife he's got to go on this business trip. But I don't know when I'll be back, but I have to leave tonight. And the wife is like, okay, like it sucks, but I get it. And she's like, did you say good, you know, did you say good night to the kids? And he's like, oh, I'll go do that now. And he runs upstairs and he kisses both of his kids. And one of the kids wakes up and it's like, you know, good night, daddy. And he like looks at the kid and he's like, goodbye. Yeah. And then he leaves. And I'm like, well, that's ominous. Definitely the the wrongdoers in this story are are getting are getting theirs. I I didn't remember the reveal. I knew that he was going to be dead, but I didn't remember the reveal. And between this story and the story with Peter Cushing, I have to say that like, I'm, I'm very impressed with the practical special effects makeup that they use. Yes. Um, this, this one is, is this really one is well good. Made. Yeah. The whole thing is really well made. Like I, it, and in this segment, I really like the stylistic car crash. Like the yes. way they use the camera to spin and stuff like uh -huh. that. I thought that was really nice. Um, Extremely disorienting. You see like yeah. the guy's head bouncing around and it's it's very well done. This one in the original story, it's actually two guys just coming back from New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. um, there's nothing nefarious about it. And I think this is one of those ones where, you know, uh, as Greg Rucka wrote, it's not the bullet with your name on it you have to be worried about. It's the one marked to whom it may concern. You know, mm -hmm. like 
bad stuff just happens to people, you know? And um, uh, so that I, I, but I do enjoy the, the change here. I think this was a good change because it's just two guys going to New Year's Eve. What's the big deal? Whatever, you know, and it's, uh, but it's still, it's a pretty gross story and a disorienting story because it's in written in first perspective, first person uh, perspective and stuff like that. So it says like, you go to this house, you knock on the door, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, uh, but I enjoyed this twist I, or, or this change to make mm-hmm. it, uh, make it have a bit of a, you know, moral to the story, uh, kind of thing. And I guess we don't know if it really will happen because it just ends with the crash, right? Like it doesn't. Yeah. Repeating the, dr- repeating what happened in the dream. Yeah. Just- I think, I think when the car, I think it ends with the car, like going through the fence and then we're back to, to the mausoleum and on to the next story. Mm-hmm. Which I really like the next story. I thought the next yeah. story was really uh, poetic justice. Uh, this one's about like a just a kind of putterer in, a, in, a, in the village, and uh, the rich people don't like him for some reason, just because. You know? Yeah, he just because he's he's not one of them. He's, right. He's yeah. He's not one of them. This is the role. This is the Peter Cushing role, by the way. This yeah. is uh, Grimsdyke, uh, and yeah, he's but he you know he's just he's an old guy. He's he's a, a widower. widower. Yeah. You know, all the kids in the neighborhood come to his house because he finds toys either discarded or broken. He fixes them and then he gives them to the kids. He's got a handful of dogs. He's just, you know, he's living his quiet. He gets up, he goes to work. He's, you know, just he's an all around nice person, but he is disliked by the neighborhood because he is not wealthy. You know, he doesn't have the big house and the manicured lawn and, you know, he you know the 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 quote-unquote villain of the story is you know he picks picks toys out of the trash and he fixes them and gives them to children and how dare he yeah and you know and they want him to move they try to buy him out because they you know they want the land but the the father of the villain character for lack of a better term um keeps telling his son yeah he he keeps telling his son he's like look the the guy owns the house free and clear he's like we asked him to move we made an offer he said no that's end of story he's like you know we can't we can't do anything to make the guy leave and that's when the villain's like or can we yeah and i think in i think this story uh, as well as other you know ec comics and other kind of tales with twists and stuff like that like it is not good to be rich. Like, you know, the rich are always up to something. The rich serve zero purpose except to make themselves feel good or, or getting more money or whatever. And it would be better if they didn't exist. Like they, they cause more problems than they solve. And I think that's a real common theme. And just a sort of sidebar here is that like, I, I think part of the pushback against the comics and stuff like that is because they were for from and for kind of average to below average people, you know, it's yeah. for- it's for working class people and the accomplishment is illiterate and that kind of stuff like that. Um, yeah, so I think a lot of that, trans- I mean, these people survived the depression and now they're making these stories and stuff. Of course, that's going to inform their 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 sensibilities. And well, it's that's like- horror in general. It, it's lowbrow, you know? It's like, there's a reason why you can probably count on one hand major awards that a movie within the genre has gotten oscars like it's 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 always like oh like it's a big deal you know it's usually just writing yeah i i have experienced being looked down upon because 
this is my favorite genre because this is what my podcast is based in. Like, you know, I could be doing many, many other better things. You know, there's so many better movies. I, I think it's it's very polarizing too because there are so many people that just out and out, like when I say that I have a horror movie podcast, oh, I don't like horror. I don't watch horror. Like, oh, it's too scary. Like it, it's, it's, it's taboo, which um, I guess it's just because it's me. It's like, how on earth is it taboo? Like- when it's funny because like there's there's someone that I work with and you know she'll talk with me about movies but she'll be like oh no horror I can't watch horror I don't I don't watch horror and then she'll mention something like the notebook and I'm always like oh romantic comedies oh I don't watch romantic comedies <laughs> and she kind of gives me a look and I'm like what what so say something like but again but I mean to be perfectly honest that's the truth for me I that's not a genre of movie that I watch I can probably count on one hand you know movies that I enjoy within that genre like it's just it's not for me but I digress we can go we, let, let's let's jump back into our <laughs> tales from the crypts yes uh but yeah this is the one with the great makeup on on Peter Cushing coming back <sighs> as a zombie because they because he's killed himself spoiler um oh yeah they they drive him nuts like they they, him down they take his dogs they yeah they they take the dogs they take his job you know they get him fired um they rally all the parents of the children that hang out with him and they were like yeah he's probably up to no good he's nefarious so the kids don't come around anymore so now he's lonely and then on valentine's day he has sent a stack of valentines that are just lovely little poems that are all basically like roses are red um go fuck yourself like it, it's bad. Like it's just they're they're just terrible, mean. Like it's just heartbreaking because it's adorable Peter Cushing who is reading ones that are like you know it's literally things that are like this place would be better without you. Like this 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 world would be better without you here. And when this is made, his wife has just passed. Peter Cushing's wife has just died, and he's oh, yeah. apparently I think he was going to take on one of the rich people's roles, and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then switch to this one. Yeah, he had he read I mean, the just, scripts, and yeah. there was another movie. Oh, I can't remember what the movie was. He was also making another movie right around this time. Um, oh, it's gonna kill me because I don't remember what it is. I feel like it's like him and Christopher Lee, and they're on a train. Anyway, I don't remember. I think it's that movie. It's it's also around this time that it's being made, and it is very near to where his wife was buried. And like every day he would just, he'd ride his little bike and sit down and hang out with his wife and talk to her a little bit. And then, yeah, he, he went through, I've, I've read some stuff that he, he, I mean, obviously anybody that loses their partner is going to go through hell and back, but apparently he, he wasn't, I don't know how to put it. Like, not that he was very public about it, but it has come out since, and I don't know if that was his doing or just friends saying things after he passed or whatever, but, you know, he, he, he really, really struggled with his grief after his wife passed away. Also too, I think it was a different time, you know what yeah. I mean? Like just people didn't kind of talk about that kind of stuff. And he's British. So, yeah. you know, that's again, something else they don't talk about. And, and actually another thing too about the British thing is that it's interesting because these stories were written 20 or so years before this was made but I feel like Britain has sort of been trapped in that kind of 50s uh you know through the through the Thatcher years like it's it's nothing's really changed uh for them and so they don't really have to change much for these stories to be uh adapted you still have these little villages and stuff where you know the wealthy people can gang up on you know the kind kindly old miser or not miser but kindly old uh man and um yeah so I had to I had to look it up because it was going to nag me. Horror Express. Oh wow! Okay, what a great title. 
I love that movie. That's Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, Telly Savalas. It's so good. I remember, I love these 70s movies. I, I, I feel like people don't watch enough of these old movies. And quite frankly, with the streaming services that we have now, especially the free ones, suck it up, watch a couple commercials, and they, they're just absolute gems of these yeah. old movies. So. I'd like to unofficially plug Tubi and Pluto. They have really yes. great, just, oh, I love them. just random crazy stuff on there. It's, it's really yes. nice. Um, yeah, Tubi is probably one of my favorite. You know, it bums me out because I think Voodoo, their free section used to be really good. But I feel like, I feel like Tubi is just, it's almost, it's just kind of like cornered the market on like the, yeah, this is weird and it's free. Just suffer a couple commercials and have fun. Let's let yeah. let's crack we have one a open and watch. About the streaming wars and how it's affected <laughs> what content is available, but I could go on and on for okay. that. Um, well, it's also sort of interesting about, you know, we're now, this is the third part of this, this poetic justice story is the one that with true supernatural elements to it. Cause yeah. Well, it's technically a dream sequence, mm -hmm. um, but uh, this one is the first time we actually have something supernatural yeah. happen, um, which I think is interesting because it's not all just, you know, ghouls and ghosts and, and whatnot. Yeah, he, he, he comes back from the day. We see him rising from his grave. He creeps into the dude's house that wrecked his life and he rips his heart out. The rich are literally heartless. Uh, That's true. <laughs> that is quite literal. Yeah, no, and the, and you get to see full on like he's in the shadows at first, but then you get to see the full on full frontal face makeup of his zombie, and it's just it's nice. It's really great. So yeah. good. It's so good. Uh, let's see what's our next story is. Wish you were here. Um, this is basically the monkey paw story, yeah. which they explicitly state in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> This is, uh, you know, a couple and they've got money troubles and then the wife starts reading off of this, like, vase or, or statuette, I guess, um, this rhyme and then, like, oh, I've got wishes and starts, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's what you expect would happen. Yeah. You know, you wish for money and, oh, well, he dies. Uh, so you get the life insurance and then you wish for him back and now he's, you know, uh embalmed at that point he's uh yeah that was which i think is very interesting because it yeah, like it's 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 like you have to be so specific she wishes for him you know she doesn't want him to be dead i want him to come back and she's like you know he was in a car accident and she's like well fine then i want him to come back to the state that he was immediately before the car accident happened twist that's when you find out he had a heart attack which is like heart attack dead car crash so yeah. immediately preceding or immediately prior to the car crash he had a heart attack and when she brings him back to life she's finally like no i want him back to life and for some reason she's like i want him to be alive forever which yeah. don't say that so he comes back to life like immediately full of embalming fluid and he's suffering, so she just pulls this random katana that she has on the wall, and <laughs> well, she, they, like, they mentioned that they mentioned they had traveled all over the that's, world. Yeah, that is true. All they, kinds of oddities and yeah. collectibles and that. But sort of she thing. like slices and dices him, opens his chest up completely to see all of his guts, cuts his hand off, and the guy is still living, writhing in pain. And like their friend was like, "You said I wish yeah. you were alive forever. Like, what do you think is going to happen?" Yeah, and that's so. And this one is interesting. This is in the in the in the in the mausoleum or whatever. 
the person being told the story is the guy. And he's more of the victim of this story than the, the perpetrator, right? Because he's he was just like, oh, well, we've got financial troubles. And the wife is like, oh, let me look at this statue. Oh, let me make this wish. Let me keep making these wishes and stuff like that. So it's interesting that he, again, is sort of a victim of circumstance kind of kind of story there. But now wasn't this one, and maybe I'm mixing it up with another since we watched two like anthologies back to back. So yeah. maybe I'm mixing it up. But didn't he like, didn't he come to his money and then lose his money in kind of a like shady way? I can't remember if they mentioned that or not. That uh, was, In one of the stories, somebody with money was shady. <laughs> Like I said, we watched a few. It might yeah. have been this one. I think. I'll there... back and look, but I think it was just like it was just like bad business investments and that kind of stuff. In the in the comics, it's just you know, hey, you've got a bunch of debts that happened and yeah. bad luck and kind of stuff like that. That's and this is the story is straight up straight adaptation um, from it. But um, yeah, I, I think it was just kind of just bad luck for him. Yeah. And then like I don't know, but I mean, granted, yeah, they weren't didn't want to really sell all their their treasures and stuff like that so i guess that's a little bit of it little i mean we're gonna look at greed you know i, I yeah i do remember him saying you know his his financial advisor was like look you can just sell some stuff and he was like but no you know yeah. i traveled i collected this all these are all nice things i don't want to get rid of my nice things so yeah if nothing else we can pinpoint to greed and now we come to i think is maybe the best one i, I don't know the 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 poetic justice peter cushing one's really good too but this yeah. one blind alleys I, I really liked uh, as well. Long story short, this guy takes over uh, a sort of group home for blind people mm -hmm. and is a jerk. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah, while while everybody in the home, resides in the home is is freezing and they're fed terrible food, this, uh, the gentleman who who is, you know, this is lifelong military man. This is major, you know, somebody called him Mr. Mr. Rogers and he's like correcting the major Rogers. Like yeah. he's, he makes it known several times that he's a military man, lifelong military man. So he feels that being a military man and having been in command of men, you know, in the I don't I, army or some branch that, you know, he yeah. clearly, because he can command them, he can handle this situation, no problem. And yes, unfortunately, uh, while they're all, you know, being fed, nasty food freezing cold they're sick they're not being well taken care of he's kind of living in the lap of luxury him and his puppy shane yeah and i think i mean i i don't know what war this guy technically fought in i guess possibly korea but most likely world war ii um and it sort of seemed like a british trope to have like i was in i was an officer <laughs> you know and i think that's a kind of common story of like that sort of disconnect of being, you know, an officer and commissioned and that sort of stuff like that, as opposed to being just a private, you know, it's like the grunts are out being shot at and you're in your safe command post, but you won the battle. No, you didn't, you know what I mean? Like, and, uh, and I think it's uh, similar to the moral that it's like best not to be wealthy. It's like also best not to be in power or at the very least not to be a jerk mm -hmm. in power um in the comics he's much worse he's not a military guy he's just cruel and he's just cutting every single corner he's got an air conditioner he's got a you know all this food he's got uh, it's implied prostitutes is implied that he buys prostitutes <laughs> purchases the service of prostitutes um in the comics um and uh then of course so so these the blind guys are like hey this enough's enough mm -hmm. you know 
And so they, yeah, they ask for help. They ask for, can you, you know, turn the heat on the guy's like, no, you're in bed anyway. And you're blind and you're blind. He's like, not only should you be in bed, but you're blind and it's dark. So what are you doing with your life? Like you can't see anyway, just go to bed. Um, and you know, and he's like, and he keeps talking about like, oh, my budget, you know, I need to make sure that this home runs efficiently and my budget only allots for so much. And I love at one point, the, the, the spokesperson for, for everyone in the home ha- had walked into the man's office and had felt a painting as he was walking past. And he was like, if you sell that, you can buy us all blankets, you know? Yeah. And it's like, oh no, no, of course not. Like, you know, you, you, you know, you've got a blanket be happy you have a blanket there are people without blankets kind of thing yeah like really abusing his authority so you know what you 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 beat them down long enough um they're gonna rise up against you and i i again the the dog is is key to their plan and i might you know please don't hurt the dog please leave the dog alone but you know they really you know they starve the dog but you know the dog eats at the end so I, yeah. i'm fine with it i'm happy <laughs> should we tell should we should we give the spoiler of how it ends let's give the spoiler so they kidnap the dog and keep it isolated for two or so days so it's really hungry and they also kidnap the administrator and keep him isolated also hungry um and then they begin to build they build a maze um in the ba- sort of basement area um, and then if the guy out and he's like, okay, haha, thanks for letting me, I'll play your game, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But there's razors along the wall. They, mm-hmm. the, 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 the patients have left razors poking out of the wall and eventually release the dog. And so the dog starts to chase the guy. He's going to get cut to ribbons, going to be eaten by the dog. We presume, we don't know, because it, it just ends. We're left with that open ending. Um, but yeah, I thought that was great. I thought that was a really great, like, yeah come up and so hopefully the dog makes it through all the razor blades and stuff like that's that. that's what i'm saying yeah you know and, and it's like very og jigsaw saw kind right. of you know technically the the blind gentleman in the home they didn't murder him no, he died right. on his own because we turned out the lights and he walked through a thin little hallway with razor sticking out that's on him he didn't have to walk through that so i did i did like that where like technically they're not blame you know they're 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 blameless I sort of do wonder though, does this use the trope that like disabled people are not to be trusted or like nefarious in some ways that tends to creep up in these kind of things? You know what I mean? Or is that just, is that, I, you know, I don't know. It, I, yeah. I was tough, it was a tough call because they, they definitely extracted their, 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 their justice. No, yes. no doubt, no doubt. But, um, uh, you know, it's one of the things I sort of wonder, like na- looking back at it now, you know, 50 yeah. years later. Like, can it be slightly fair, problematic? Yeah. Is it a fair depiction of of these people? I mean, to me, I'm just like, yeah, get yeah, it. No. Like, I'm so blinded by my want for the justice. Right. And I think that's something, that's an element, I think, of a lot of these stories, both in the comics and in these movies, is like, you're rooting, you're like, yes, get him, you know, like, take him down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, that's, part of the you know middle class lower class kind of stuff rooting yeah. against you know the oppressive upper class um but yeah so that story ends and then we cut back to the mausoleum yeah. and they're just standing there mouth agape you know at like how yeah. did you know all this stuff how did you you know how do we get out of here blah 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 surprise they're dead yeah no these were not visions with warnings of change your ways or else this was hey, here's what happened and welcome to hell. 
<laughs> which you know what they do give one or two clues of that at one point in the beginning joan collins loses her brooch in the framing and, sequence in the framing sequence yeah in the framing sequence she loses her brooch on the way you know what she's walking through the mausoleum and in her story she received that brooch as a gift from her husband on christmas it was the one mm -hmm. present she opened um so yeah, like they have little tiny clues, not, I don't think there's a clue in every single vignette, no. but there's a few little clues peppered in. And yeah, it ends with, you know, the door finally opens and please escort yourself to the pits of hell. And that was a great final shot. That sort of solemn resignation of them leaving their yeah. stone feet. Yeah, because the first guy kind of abruptly falls in oh, like i don't right, he wasn't yeah, planning right. on it he falls in and then the rest of them kind of just slowly get up single file they walk out um and uh, one of the, the the way that this you know the fade to black moment is is the crypt keeper breaking the fourth wall and yeah. basically saying you know who's 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 next looking right right at all of us like is it going to be you and scene credits lovely lovely way to end this movie and i really liked this one i thought this was really this was a really oh, great yeah big uh, fan i both of them i really liked both of them yeah i think i like this one better than i liked vault of horror um but uh <laughs> but uh they're so good they're so both good yeah. but I, I just I, it's just something about like i think the set design i think the crypt keeper um yeah i just something about the, the, the this one i really liked better than than vault of horror which yeah that's fair and and we can we can jump Let's right go into it because that was this one starts also with a little bit of a ooh but not as much because you got tom mm -hmm. baker yeah after who showing up and uh denholm elliott who i absolutely love in a movie that not a lot of people have seen noises off um yeah. he plays I yeah i love him when he pops up and stuff um and uh this has the same writer uh milton sabotsky he wrote both tales from the crypt and and this one mm -hmm. um this setup, I didn't really like the sort of framing sequence as much as I did the other one. Um, so it's five, it's an elevator and slowly five guys get into it and then they end up in the sub basement. And this sort of reminds me of like, uh, you know, Tales or uh, Twilight Zone, uh, five characters in search of an exit or um, Star Trek Next Generation episode Allegiance. And so you've got all these people just like showing up, oh, we're trapped in this basement with this nice little, with, chairs and yeah they they bigger. walk into like basically a little clubhouse like there's a yeah. table with exactly five chairs and there's some booze and you know they figure they're kind of stuck there yeah it's not it's not a base basement i mean that's where the button is but it's like right. it's, it's it's swanky you know yeah, it's, like it's a really nice and and so they all sit around and they're like well let's make the best of it they all pour themselves a drink and they start talking about dreams that they've had and the one guy right. says oh well my dream is like super detailed like it's a very vivid dream and they're like all right well you know, they got nothing else to do tell us your dream and that's in this movie there is no vault keeper crypt keeper which like there is no all-knowing person guiding each story this right. one it's just kind of they're left to their own devices and they take turns telling each other their dreams and maybe this is on me, but just because of the media that's come since. But I, I did you think like maybe one of them was gonna be like twist? Ha ha! I'm really the. I the thought the guy keeper. with the beard. Yeah. I thought the guy Tom with Baker. the beard was yeah. Uh, yeah Tom Baker. I thought he was going to be 
Because at, at one point, someone he he almost encouraged someone else to tell their dream next. And to skip him, he's like, "You yeah, don't want to hear no, mine. No, no, no. Yeah, you don't want to hear my story." I yeah. I did. I expected him to be not a mastermind behind it, but yeah, he's more. I I wanted thought he would be more of the crypt keeper esque. Like at the end, he'd be the one to reveal whatever the big reveal was. But yeah, it, there was no, you know, the, there really and there really wasn't much framing story as there was in the last one like i said like you said like during the credit sequence five guys get on an elevator they end up in this room oh well let's sit and have a drink let's talk about our dreams and there really is a, and and the in between of each vignette was all right it's my turn okay it's my turn so there really a was little a, bit of, little bit of like you're not really such and such kind of guy are you yeah like, but there, there, there wasn't much yeah there wasn't much to the overarching story but yeah, her story I, is Midnight Miss. Right, sorry, which Midnight I was I was happy that we got like a classic monster story. Yes, yes. Poetic Justice had a supernatural thing. Mm-hmm. Wish you were here, I guess that's supernatural, but yeah. Blind Alley doesn't. So really we only have two out of five of Tales from the Crypt that have truly supernatural elements. And yeah. this one, we're straight out the gate, Midnight Miss, we're starting supernatural. Um, yes. So yeah, so we've got a guy. Uh, this is this was an interesting one. Um, so a guy's trying to find his sister, um, and for an because of an inheritance, because his his dad is I think it's his dad, right? Yeah, yeah. Dad the is- dad dies, and the dad doted on the sister. So the dad left his entire inheritance to the sister, and right. the the guy would only get it in the event of her death. So the easiest way to make that happen is hunt her down and kill her. Yeah. So he has like a private eye or somebody kind of like that find her, um, kills him, mm-hmm. and then goes to this sort of sleepy little town that she or village, I guess, since it's England, um, uh, that that she lives in. And then everybody's like, uh, "Sorry, it's sundown or sun's going down. We we're we're closed." You know, everybody goes. It's like you know, yeah, you, get inside. The sun's going inside. down. You know, you better be careful. And I mentioned them, you know, and that kind of stuff. Like that. And I enjoy a creepy town that knows about a lurking evil. Like that's a great, mm-hmm. like sign me up for that. Like every time, yeah. that's, that's that's great. Um, so he finds his sister and kills her. He walks out her front door, and the restaurant that shooed him away because sun was going down, he notices is open again. So he was like, ah, "I'm hungry." So walks across the street, goes to the restaurant, and they're like, "You know, we've got a set menu." you good? And he's like, that's, you know, wine, soup, whatever, we're good. And they bring him a glass of red wine. Wink. It tastes <laughs> a little they funny. They say juice. They say juice. Oh, juice. Yeah. That. yeah it, it, juice. it tastes a little funny. So he, he, yeah. I'm, yeah, bring me my soup. Takes a couple bites of soup. And he was like, what is this? And the, the waiter is like, you know, it's our regular soup. It's, you know, it's our dish. And he was like, okay. And then when he tries to offer him the the blood clots, that's when we notice that things are different. Actually, he reacts to that and the waiter walks over and pulls a curtain and a giant wall of mirrors is exposed and a very crowded restaurant now is a restaurant of one per the mirror. (laughs) So yes, all the vampires, which the vampire teeth are comical. Like yeah. they're the, they're very thin but very long, like almost like tiny thin walrus husks. Yes. And then yeah. our 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 twist within a twist is the sister comes back. She's a vampire. He's a vampire. The greatest, the 
one of the greatest scenes from this whole movie is now that the vampires have fresh blood, they're obviously going to feed off this guy. He's upside down and they basically tapped a keg into his neck and people are just walking up with their glasses and they're like just tapping the keg filling it up moving to the next excellent vintage yeah (laughs) you know yeah uh and i thought that shot even before i read the story like i was like oh that's a very ec kind of twist Mm -hmm. ending kind of shot that you would expect to to be in the art and in the story it does end you know with that kind of same sort of image there um, what's interesting in this comic is he's just a guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. He uh, stops to see his sister and then uh, goes, you know, hey, I'm passing through. And he's like, why? And she's like kind of put out by him showing up. Um, but then he's like, I'm hungry. So he goes out, finds that restaurant. Mm-hmm. They're all vampires. And then the sister shows up and like, well, I, the reason I came to this little area is because I'm a vampire. It's the only place safe. I can't let you leave. And she's still, you know, they still kill him and all that kind of stuff like that. But that's a g- guy in the wrong place at the wrong time kind of story. Whereas in the movie, it's again, the greed element, um, giving people their comeuppance. Uh, so that's a, a, you know, a nice twist there too, I think. Um, yeah. Especially considering the the rest of the story, other stories and, this, and uh, having a, you know, moral there. So now the next story, it's like, I've got a little beef with because this guy, he really wasn't a bad guy. He was a jerk. He was a douchebag to his wife. <laughs> but in comparison, he wasn't a criminal. You know, he didn't hurt anybody. He didn't murder anybody. He wasn't stealing money. He was just a gigantic douchebag and just like a shitty misogynist to his wife because he finds a pretty young wife and he basically just needs her around to like cook and clean. Like really, like I need somebody basically to take care of house and home. And this guy is a neat freak, like a place for everything and everything in its place. Like that is cleanliness is next to godliness for this guy. And I was very excited to see uh, Glynis. Oh, what's her last name? Glynis Johns. Uh. I think her name is something like it, that. Yeah. It, Mrs. Banks for Mary Poppins. Yeah. I was happy to see her in it. So this guy is just, you know, she's, they, you know, she's moved, they're married, she's moved in and she's trying to make their house their house. And he keeps resisting. It's his house that, you know, his stuff goes here. You know, this goes, everything is very particular. He likes his underwear drawer to be <laughs> here and, you know, the, the, the cans of food have to be arranged a certain way and you have to check them off the checklist. And there's just a myriad of things that she does wrong. And it doesn't help that she's slightly klutzy and clumsy and will knock things over. And, you know, it's, it's just a series of that on and on. And then finally, you know, after she has messed something else up and he starts yelling at her, she just gets so angry that she puts a, a hammer into his head. And I was trying to think of some witty like sister suffragette pun for when she did that but i couldn't i couldn't think of anything it got too into the movie (laughs) so yeah the um this is one's interesting in the comics this is from shock suspense stories number one um which i read a reprint of as a kid and i was like i feel like when i was watching i know this i feel like i know this and i went back and reread it and i was like yes okay yes this is uh it and um it's pretty much the same except in the comics is more of a commentary on like it's which is I think kind of progressive for 1952 uh like how hard it is to be a wife in mm-hmm. in in a sort of domineering man's world um expecting perfection um and you can kind of extrapolate out from you know not only neatness but to everything else you know what I mean like your your figure and the way you talk to me and this kind of stuff like that you can see where that would go 
um, and and maybe what they were going for in the original in the story that they you know couldn't really all put in because it's the 50s still and whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean the message is basically just don't be a control freak. Um, and uh, well, we also left off the part where then she not only she kills him, but then she puts all of his parts in jars. <laughs> yeah, she she ends up being the neat and tidy and everything in his place where she literally has jars of there's his eyes, his teeth, his you know, his, this goes there. And I like at the end, the last shot, it just has like odds and ends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just the little bits and baubles that are left. Odds and ends going there. And then like, she has like the maniacal laughter, you know, she's like, yeah. there we go. It's all neat and tidy, just like you like it. And again, one of the rare instances where like the, you know, the murderer doesn't get comeuppance in this one. You know, like I said, he's, the guy he's he's painted as the villain and you know he's certainly not a nice person but he is not there's no criminal element like i feel that all the other stories have a bit of a criminal element like i said he's just he's just a jackass yeah yeah but she it ends is. up being a murderer and gets away with it right and i and, and that's again that's something to kind of root for one of those kind of stories yeah. where like you're like well yeah kill this kill this yeah goodbye, goodbye earl you know, yeah. Like, so yeah, so that one just that one's kind of I, I'm it, that one's fine. I think you know it, the second story always is kind of the weird story. I think for a yeah. lot of these kind of things, just because you know I think the Simpsons had it best with when they did the Trios of Horror ones or something where like the third story is like or the second story they go here's one we like pretty good but not as good as the first or the third <laughs> um, story. <laughs> um, so yeah, second story is kind of the you know it's okay um but the third story uh was it's called this trick will kill you um and now we're dealing with colonizers in india um (laughs) coming to look for magic tricks they're a stage duo a husband and wife duo um and they're looking up you know looking for for magic tricks and stuff in in india um I do, again, similar to like my concern about the depiction of of blind people, I sort of wonder if this doesn't play up again the trope of, you know, quote unquote, the Orient being a dangerous place and, you know, dangerous to white people and that that kind of thing. Um, The mystical minority. Right, which it carries extra baggage with this being a British production, you know, Mm -hmm. India being a British, you know, colony and that kind of stuff like that. So, yeah, so I, that was I, that. That made it interesting to me watching, you know, fifty years later that sort of uh, element of it. But anyway, yeah. So they're trying to find this this uh, magic trick, and he stumbles in this alley, and this woman is playing a flute, and the rope just comes out of the basket straight up, and he's like, "This is amazing! Sell me your trick," and she won't. Yeah. And so then they come up with a way to get her into the hotel and say, "Oh, my wife is sick. Come do the trick for her," and they kill her to steal the trick. They, they, and, and what's great is they steal the trick. Uh, the wife tells the husband, okay, now like, you know, play the flute. Like, let's, let's figure out how this works. Plays the flute, rope goes up. The wife is like, this is going to be amazing. I can't wait. She starts to climb the rope. She gets to the top. She's laughing. This is fantastic. Like, this is going to be the greatest trick ever. Boop, she disappears. And then the coolest thing that happens is that like a blood stain just starts to bloom on the ceiling where she was, which I thought was just so cool that not only does she like disappear, but then the way that the blood, and I say that very literally, a blood stain blooms across the ceiling and it's so cool looking. Yeah, in the comics, she gets dismembered when she gets up to the top and like body parts start to fall. Oh my. Uh, (laughs) 
Yeah, so that's pretty nuts. Um, so I, but I definitely like the subtlety of this, and it, it more like I guess magic implied with the you know disappearance, and yes. then there's a bloom of blood, and that's that's much more you know mystical or whatever. Um, so then uh, he tries it, and uh, we cut back to the square, and the the street performers are doing their magic tricks, but up in the window we see the guy uh, hung. Yeah, the rope has made a noose of itself and and he is no more we talked about it earlier about being somewhat progressive you know with the with the last story i have to say that like i had to look it up because i had the fear of the girl our mystic you know our indian girl i believe is what she is i think that is her character name her name is indian girl um and i was like oh you know like kind of just glancing at her i'm like is this like a they took a white woman and they painted her brown, like, and they made her look that way. I did look it up. She is a Persian actress, you know? Okay. And I was like, okay, like, how, yeah, she born in England, you know, but she she is a Persian actress. So I'm like, okay, like, at least we don't have to look at the problematic brown face of British cinema in 1970s. So I was very happy that, you know, that, that those lengths were taken to, you know, appropriately cast. But I, this one, this one, I really liked. I, like I said, I loved the death of the wife. I thought it was very yeah. cool. Very stylistic. Very, yes. very. And, that, and that's sort of interesting. I think with a lot of these kind of British things is that for budgetary reasons or whatever, you know, they come up with cool ways of doing stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and, I, and this is definitely one of them. Um, great way to show her that something has happened to her, you know, yes. not just disappearing, but like, Here's a trace of blood kind of thing. We're at Bargain in Death. This is kind of, this one's interesting because it's, it's uh, so we've got the guy, two guys are trying to come up with an insurance scam. So we've got a greed message again, mm-hmm. uh, wherein this drug will make the guy appear to be dead for about 36 hours. Uh, they'll do a quick funeral, put him in the ground. His friend will dig him out. They'll get the money. He'll get to start his life over. They'll split the cash. Boom. Easy, right. easy, easy payday. Easy payday. Right. Meanwhile, we have um, med students who need a cadaver to graduate. And uh, I love this weird kind of Victorian trope of like, oh, I got to go dig up a body because I'm a medical student. And, I know. Uh, I don't know why that's such a thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. The So what I like in this story, the the two people plotting this insurance scam, um, obviously unknown to each other, they're going to double cross each other. You know, yeah. they're they're absolutely going to double cross each other. So it was, or just the, or just the one guy is going to do the double cross because the other guy's trapped. Well, no, he had the gun in the in the beginning. Oh right, he, yeah, right. Yeah, right, right. he was going to yeah. kill him after the, he un yeah after he yes, unburied him, which yes, yes. you know. Trigger warning for claustrophobia. The first shot of this story is the guy lighting a match and he's in the coffin. And already yeah. I'm just holding my breath like, nope, nope, I'm out. This is, I'm uncomfortable. I don't like this. But yeah, I love the, uh, I do, I agree with you. Like that, that, oh, we need to, we need, obviously we need a body. We need a cadaver. We can't get that. We're not, you know, we're in med school. Somehow we can't get a body in med school. So we'll yeah. just dig one up. We'll pay a what are they called groundskeeper yeah we'll pay a groundskeeper it's fine and the body they happen to pick well no they picked that body because it's their neighbor yeah so it's their it's the the med student they know know that he's freshly dead yes yeah it's it's the neighbor and he you know he is found dead 
And it's great because like, you know, the woman finds him dead. They scream and they rush in and they're like, oh my God, oh no, he died. And then like that knowing smile happens. Oh no, he and they're died. like, oh no, he is dead. <laughs> That's terrible. So yeah, so they go, they bury him. He gets buried, whatever. Um, the guy's waiting for his friend to come get him. Meanwhile, the med students come with the groundskeeper um, and uh, try to dig him up. And they do. And uh, he's alive and it freaks them out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He, he like springs up and he screams the name of his friend. And uh, yeah, the two med students run and the groundskeeper does what any groundskeeper would do uh, if a body came shooting out of a grave like that. Uh, he bashes it in the head with the shovel. Meanwhile, the friend is driving away from town. Ha ha ha, I've double crossed you. I've got all the money. Um, but the med students run out into the street. He swerves, is killed. And yeah. ta-da. Yeah, uh, no insurance scams for them because they both end up very dead. Yeah. Um, so again, the greed element there. Just be happy with what you have. and Yeah. <laughs> play by the rules. Um. Uh, our final story brings some more supernatural-ish elements. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this was definitely the the showstopper to end right. this movie on. Absolutely. And uh, unfortunately, we do have a little more kind of the colonizer kind of stuff with, uh, yeah. you know, foreigners or magic, you yeah. know. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, more mystical minorities. We're going to touch into, uh, I'm assuming some sort of voodoo, voodoo or some, he's, yeah. He's in Haiti. He's in Haiti. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Starts with an artist in Haiti, and uh, he's just kind of, I don't know if he's depressed or what, but he's, he's definitely feels like he's not successful. Mm-hmm. And um, his friend happens to run into him, and he's like, oh, hey, I just saw your painting sell for a bunch of money. He's like, what are you talking about? This this critic savaged it. My agent or whatever said he couldn't sell it. Blah, blah. He's like, nah, dude, it sold. Big money. Yeah. Um, and so the artist is, you know, livid uh, and seeks out... Um, I don't know what you would technically, there's a title for this uh, practicer of, of voodoo, um, but he seeks him out and gets uh, his hands magic. His hands become magic. And the guy doesn't really understand what's going on until he goes into some painting uh, or drawing of a vase and then uh, tears it up and the vase breaks and uh, draws a piece of bread that's on the floor and then erases part of it. And then a rat comes in and eats that part. And uh so he figures out like, okay, ooh, what I paint happens, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so he's like, this is it, here's the revenge. And so he goes back to England, um, starts painting p- portraits of the people who wronged him and then starts tearing them up, <laughs> starts yeah. uh, defacing yeah. them. The first guy, uh, his the critic, yeah. he, he gouges his eyes out with a knife. Well, the painting, he, he, painting, he stabs yeah. the painting um and then we cut to the actual critic his wife has caught him with another woman uh so she's like well you know what you'll never look at another woman again and throws some sort of acid or some sort of chemical in his face thus blinding him the art dealer he cuts out a square of the painting where the man's hands are and then (laughs) this is so great (laughs) this was great yeah so yeah so then we cut to the real art dealer and he's showing somebody how to use a paper cutter (laughs) and for whatever reason he puts his hands also he's treating the guy like a like he's an idiot he's like you don't let me show you how to do a paper cutter you know (laughs) and then he puts his hands under the blades 
as he's speaking with him, but oh no, the blades come down and just like a hot knife through butter, the hands come off. <laughs> that was great. Absolutely great. Uh, the last guy, I guess his agent, um, he takes the painting to the agent's office and he's like, uh, hey, guess what? You've got two minutes to live. And he takes his watch off. He's all dramatic and puts the watch on his desk. You've got two minutes to live. And the guy pulls out a gun that's like, you know what? get out of here like you know and he's like no 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 let me show you your painting and he should you know he has a painting of the guy he takes a red marker and he draws a little circle like right between the guy's eyes um and that the guy has the gun on him the art dealer has the gun on him or the agent does and then magically he cannot control his hands and the agent turns the gun onto himself and shoots himself directly between the eyes the art artist runs away he panics because he can't breathe. He right. starts to suffocate and he realizes the painting of himself that he drew, he drew a self-portrait, he put it in a safe. Right, because so, his hands were magic at that point. Yes. He finished the painting with his magic hands and was like, oh, okay, I got to protect this painting. Um, and so he puts it in a safe and yes, so that's right. he starts to suffocate. So he runs back to his, his flat. And, yeah, uh, gets the painting out, can breathe again and realizes he left his watch at the office of his agent he doesn't want to be implicated so he needs to run back and go get his watch unfortunately where he put his painting of himself like he put it on an easel in his little sunroom um but above him there is a uh a billboard artist you know doing the billboard thing and he kicks over a can of paint thinner which crashes through the glass roof of the sunroom and falls onto the painting. Painting gets dissolved and the artist becomes street pizza. <laughs> he gets hit by a yeah. bus and is Yeah, when the painting flat. falls, it inevitably makes the artist fall directly in front of a car and just it doesn't show the artist after the fact, but it right. shows the painting effectively being just melted and stripped away by the paint thinner. And you can only assume that that's exactly what the guy looks like now. Yeah, he is pizza. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the comic is really great. Um, it's mostly the same, except he he ropes in his landlord in this. He was evicted by his landlord, and that's why he's in Haiti. Um, and so one of the people that he, he, he erases the legs of the landlord so that he won't kick anybody out anymore. And I, uh, so then something happens to his legs. Um, but what I really love in the comic is when the, the uh, sign painter guy accidentally kicks, it's turpentine in the comic, and he goes, Maturp! <laughs> I don't know why I found that so funny. <laughs> my terp. My terp. My, my can of terp. Oh my uh, goodness. But yeah, this was a great one. This is a great story. Um, uh, well shot, well well paced. Um, I think the message here is uh, revenge is not a dish best served cold. It's best not served at all. Right? Yeah. Like, like just don't seek out, you know, it's an eye for an eye, makes everybody blind, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, I feel like that's sort of what this message is here i personally uh enjoy the trope of like the magic pen or the magic mm -hmm. pencil it has come up i have seen several i think it happened in spongebob um i think in that Ninja turtles had one yeah i think in santa shark had one and yes oh my god yeah. santa shark had one you didn't have one <laughs> Oh, um, but yeah this is this has come up in several movies having like either a magic paper or a magic pen or a magic pencil or 
death note the whole oh note. yeah yeah write your name in the book and i i like that trope personally i don't i i, I know it's an overdone trope but i i do enjoy it we finish with our vignettes we're back to the ending of our quote-unquote wraparound story mm-hmm. i was disappointed that it was essentially the same ending as tales from the crypt same yeah yeah like like i kind of wanted to be to be something else not that this was meant to be a sequel by any means but I think if you if you watch Tales from the Crypt and enjoyed it, and then you knew this was coming out a year later, you would you would absolutely watch it. And it was disappointing that it was like, yep, well, you know, so the elevator door finally opens and it opens into a cemetery. And they all just kind of were like, okay, we're dead. And they all purgatory, everything's gray and gloomy. They all just kind of, again, like solemnly single file, they walk out. Somebody says something very dramatic and then turns (laughs) walks and then disappears. And like, I guess we have to relive our dreams, our terrors every night or whatever. Yeah. Like, so it was, it was disappointing that once again, it we'd find out that, that all of these people have died as a result of, you know, their dream that they had told where they had died. So that was kind of like, you couldn't come up with anything better. Like there was, you know, I, and I'm not saying, not presuming that I could write something better. I'm just, I was just disappointed that they just went back to the, yeah, well, you're actually already dead because I'm like, well, that kind of like in the first one, like it was like, oh, it's a twist. Like that's the whole point of the twist of we've got, yes, you've been dead this whole time. This wasn't a warning of what's to come this wasn't like a, a christmas carol kind of thing where change your ways ebenezer or you'll you know this is what your fate is that was their fate it was a bummer that it really didn't change from the first movie yeah and I, it's what I, I i and i i sort of wonder how much of the stuff is just kind of like assembly line in some ways you know like it doesn't necessarily have to be good it just has to be out you know like yeah you got to have something to fill the theaters and the drive-ins and that kind of stuff like that. So it's like, eh, who, you know, um, which is sort of counter to the motto of the comics, which is like, hey, you know, make it good, make it, make it, make it uh, worthwhile. Um, again, not to say that this isn't worthwhile. It's just right. one of the things where it's like, well, we don't really need to make up a new ending. You know, just kind of do the yeah. old one again. You know, that that is probably one of the key reasons why this one is not as good as Tales from the Crypt. All of that being said, though, um, I very much I enjoyed both. I did like it. I did like it. I enjoyed Tales from the Crypt much better. Um, I did ask Marissa before we went on if there was anything she wanted to say. And she just wanted to say that, again, she's sorry that she missed you, Adam. <laughs> she really enjoyed both of these movies and was looking forward okay. to to talking and uh, to talking about these movies with you. Uh, but she did enjoy these uh, both very much. Well, maybe she can give some thoughts in the facebook comments and stuff oh yeah i'm sure i'm sure that she will she'll chime in with some things then um so so that about wraps it up uh on our ec comics tales from the crypt vault of horror did i say that i keep i keep reading yeah, right i'm mistaken like i said i mistakenly wrote tales from the vault now i keep going back to it um adam thank you so so much for joining us tonight can you please remind us one more time where we can find you on social media. Sure, yeah, you can find me on Instagram and, and Twitter at A-D-A-M-C-C-A-S-C-Y, Adam C. Casey. Um, and it's been really great to be here. I love love the show and love listening to y'all. And I'm glad you had me back. I'm, I'm happy to come back whenever you want. Uh, and again, all of his links uh, will be in our show notes as well. 
as our links for jerseyghouls.com. You can find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. Just search Jersey Ghouls. You will find us there. We hope you guys have enjoyed today's episode and we will see you on the next one. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.